So let's welcome my first author to the program, 60 Minute Overtime, Marty Appel. He just wrote a book entitled Casey Stengel, Baseball's Greatest Character. And let me tell you, Marty, I have to consider myself a new Yankee fan. Uh, my first game was in 1997. I'm 28 years old. And Casey Stengel lived from 1890 to, to 1975. So the only capacity in which I knew him was as a space on the Yankee Monopoly board my brother and I used to play way back <laughs> in the day. Um, but now, after reading your book, I feel like I know him personally. I'll tell you the truth. Uh, in the two and a half years or so that I spent researching and writing the book, it became clear to me that barely anyone under 40 had heard of Casey Stengel. I knew in that sense that I was writing to an audience that would just have a blank look on their face. And that was one of the reasons that I was inspired to do the book, because he's a guy who was named the greatest character in baseball history by MLB Network, and yet so many people are totally ignorant of his life and his career. So I really wanted to bring him back to the forefront. Now, I, I did a quick search last night on Barnes & Noble, and it returned 16 books on Casey Stengel, including yours. Why was it so important you had to update his legend and, and his story? It had been over 30 years since the last major biography by my late friend Bob Creamer, and that book was like a baseball classic. It was a wonderful, wonderful book. But uh, it had been a long time. The book was some, was out of print for the most part. And uh, I was able to come up with material that wasn't available to Bob before the Internet age. Um, I was able to tap into newspaper archives from little minor league towns where Casey played, and recover long-lost anecdotes. And a big thing that I had was the family, when they learned I was doing this, made available to me an unpublished memoir by Casey's wife, Edna. She wrote it in 1958. It was never published because she didn't get the kind of publishing offer she was looking for. So it just stayed with the family all these years. They turned it over to me. And instead of Casey just being a baseball figure, now all of a sudden we have a husband and, uh, you know, a man off the field, a man at home with a very classy wife who traveled with him for almost his whole baseball career. So that was a wonderful find, and that really added another dimension. You know, my favorite parts I have here were Edna, Edna's parts, uh, her narratives, her, her stories. I, I love that part. Do you think, and I was thinking about this as I was reading, you know, they didn't have kids. They never had kids. Do you think that Edna was ever, like, truly happy, especially after Casey kept signing the new managerial contracts, after promising her one more year, one more year? I think she had a wonderful life with him because they loved each other and enjoyed traveling the world together. They made a number of odysseys to Europe and to the Far East. They never had children because, uh, I suspect, um... They were both in their 30s when they met and married. And in those days, people in their 30s weren't having children. I think it was as simple as that. So they were devoted to each other. She was ever at his side. She always sat and kept box score next to the, to the dugout where Casey was managing. Uh, they lived at the Essex House Hotel all the years he managed the Yankees and the Mets on Central Park South. They lived an elegant, great life. And... They were rich, too, thanks to Casey's investment in oil wells in the 1930s, made them wealthy for life. 
that was so crazy to me that they're all investing they're playing against each other on the field yet they're all investing together off the field i thought that was like a crazy concept that was interesting and most people even in baseball who felt they knew casey thought he was rich because edna's family owned a bank in glendale and casey was a vice president but that wasn't really the source of his wealth it was this lucky oil strike in texas in the 1930s that still produces checks to this day that gets mailed to the estate. That's crazy. Now, had you ever met Casey prior to beginning the book at all? Yes, I was the Yankees' public relations director in the 70s. I was the one who used to arrange old-timers day, um, handle all of Casey's travel logistics. I would greet him when he came to the stadium. He yelled at me once when I was pestering him about when... <laughs> whether he was going to be coming that year or not. Um, so I had some time with him. I, he came to five Yankee old-timers days. I was with him on all of those occasions. And often he still continued to be a guest at winter sports banquets that I attended. I write about that, in fact, the fact that um, at those sports banquets he would entertain the audience with Stengalese, which was the language he spoke <laughs> to everyone's amusement, uh, people who had seen that many times would kind of roll their eyes and leave the room when he would start speaking. (laughs) But to those, for the first time, seeing the legendary Casey Stengel deliver Stengelese, what a magnificent treat that was, seeing the real thing right there. (laughs) Now, what has the the family's reception been of, of your new book? very happy with it, very supportive. Uh, In Glendale, California, there is Casey Stengel Field, which is in a sad state of disrepair. It was built in the 50s, and they're using sales of the book to help raise funds for the restoration of the field. So that's a really nice thing. And I'm going to go out there and speak at the Glendale Library June 21st, uh, the Glendale Library and Arts Center as part of the fundraising. Awesome. That's such a great... I love hearing that. So, um, I, I wanted... You know, I, I was really reading this book like with a fine-tooth comb here, and your book highlights some of the things that are still prevalent in baseball that originated way back when. And I'm going to say the raising of the ticket prices during the World Series as far back as 1923, promotional giveaways, contract holdouts... Even John McGraw is accusing the Yankees of recording his clubhouse and using binoculars to read lips. Bat flips. Stengel's giving the five finger salutes to opposing pitchers after home runs. Did you realize that, you know, were you surprised to see that contemporary sports still follow these trends that Casey Stengel lived through many, many decades ago? Good for you for picking those things out. I'm really impressed. Uh, John McGraw making recordings was a shock to the system. I had no idea they were using that kind of technology back then. Right? It's like Um, a spy gate. Yeah, that was amazing to me. What a discovery that was. Um, Did you like when a minor league game that Casey was playing in was interrupted by the car car drove across the outfield? (laughs) That was one of my favorite parts. (laughs) Can you imagine that happening nowadays? Oh, my gosh. But all of that stuff was precious and good for you for uh, highlighting it. And, uh, yeah, some things just never change. 
That's so funny. I mean, the, the promotional giveaways, the one that you mentioned was a fruit giveaway. Now I looked up, now you can get a replica Cubs trophy. It's, it's incredible. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the items may have improved somewhat over the years, but the concept was still there. <laughs> now, now, Casey has a lot of, I, I picked up on this too, Casey has a lot of firsts that are still around today. Here's a few of them. He was one of the first to wear sunglasses in the field. He yes. was one of the first to do some defensive shifts. Uh, he created an early camp for prospects. He scouted his opponents, which was a shocker to me that they didn't do that prior to that. He set a curfew, no gambling at the dog track, and he adapted his, his players to a new pitch, the slider. Have you ever studied a more progressive pioneer in baseball? He was ad- advanced, and I do want to focus on, for a moment on that ban on the dog tracks for the players, yeah. that was uh, that was pretty dramatic. I mean, by today's standards, which we'll get to in a second, you can only imagine what that was like. But this was Casey's first spring training as a Yankee manager, and all eyes were on how he was going to get along with Joe DiMaggio, the yep. game's elite player. Yep. So Casey reads this set of rules in the clubhouse the first day of spring training. Rules like you have to tip the maid $5 a week at the hotel, things like that. Anyway, one of the rules is that the players were forbidden from going to the dog track at night. Now, anybody who knew Joe DiMaggio knew that that's what Joe did every night. So how was this going to work? This is really like Casey drawing a line in the sand. And what happened was DiMaggio went to the dog track anyway, defied the rule. And when Casey was asked about it, Casey just said, well, I have no firsthand knowledge of that. I wasn't there, (laughs) so I have no answer. Today, could you imagine how many cell phone photos would be taken of Joe at the track and the newspaper headlines the next day, oh, yeah. Casey, what now? You know, it would have been such a full-blown controversy. I don't know if the two of them would have made it out of spring training together. <laughs> well, that kind of, you know, kind of rings true today, even with just recently this past week, the NFL players doing the arm wrestling competition in Las Vegas. Same concept. Yes. Yeah, um, but... I don't know how Casey would have fared in an age of social media, but in those days, he and all the other managers sort of had iron rain control over everything. Uh, that one would have been a real test. Now, you know, just getting back to it, have you ever studied a more progressive pioneer in baseball? I suppose there were some, but of course Casey drew a lot of attention by being with the high-profile Yankees starting in 1949. He gets a lot of credit for platooning players in and out of the lineup. Uh, Managers always knew that there was advantages and disadvantages in lefty-righty matchups. That wasn't something he discovered. But he had such an abundance of talent with the Yankees that he could do that and replace an all-star with another all-star and get away with it. John McGraw did it with the Giants when Casey was a player, and Casey was part of that system. He would play against uh, right-hand pitchers, but not against left-hand pitchers, and uh, he kind of learned it from McGraw, but it was part of the baseball culture all along. Everybody knew there were advantages and disadvantages. After studying Casey Stengel, uh, all the things that he's done as a player, as a manager, 
What do you think his most significant contribution to the game of baseball as a whole is? I think that would the answer to that lies in just considering him as an ambassador for the game. Right. He really transcended the sports pages so that all Americans were aware of Yogi Berra, Mickey Mantle, and Casey Stengel on the mighty Yankees of the 1950s. And the 1950s was the decade in which everybody acquired television sets. And as Casey said, I could make a living with my face. (laughs) Everybody came to know that face, and he was sort of a father figure to the game and a great ambassador for our national pastime. Um, People of a certain age, Roosevelt was always going to be the president, and Joe Lewis was always going to be the heavyweight champ. For baby boomers, Casey was always going to be the manager of the Yankees, and boy, were they in good hands. And I'm among them, and I used to feel that way. I was 12 when the Yankees fired him, and I was in shock. I couldn't believe the Yankees would ever win another game. (laughs) I felt that way with Joe Torre. He's my manager. There you go. (laughs) Now, okay, now here's another thing. The story also struck me as a, a complete story of history's direct influence on baseball. And the reader, I felt, as a reader, I wasn't just along for the ride of Casey Stengel's story, but the story of the United States, too. And I pointed, like, the World Wars, how men had to go fight and how it impacted baseball's lineups. Yogi Berra, for example. Or how how the men that couldn't or didn't go and fight kept the spirits up of those on the home front, which was Casey's role. You took us all the way through the Civil Rights Movement. Here's Jackie Robinson saying that I think the Yankee management is prejudiced. So... Had you realized, you know, that you were telling the story of the United States through Casey Stengel? I knew it because baseball was such a part of American culture during the 20th century. It's less so today because of other sports and other forms of entertainment competing for our attention. But in the 20th century, baseball owned American attention. And so everything that went on with baseball was kind of something that was going on with America. Uh, Casey was in the game from 1910 to 1965, and what a swath of American history that was. As you say, two world wars, the Depression, uh, the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, Baseball wasn't operating in a vacuum. It was all right there affecting them. And he even had gone to be um, an ambassador. He traveled to where? Japan, London, Paris for the game of baseball. That was unheard of until that time correct? Right. He was part of the tours. Right. It wasn't as though he organized it, no, yeah. but he was spreading the, um, the flag of baseball worldwide. Um, met the King of England. Um, hello King. <laughs> what did he say? Hello King. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a grand, uh, ticker tape parade like reception in Tokyo after world war two, which was a big step in the healing of relations between the two nations. So uh, he was a monumental figure in many ways. So after doing the research, what is your favorite Casey Stengel anecdote of all time now? Well, there were so many, and my favorite sometimes gets lost on the people who don't know their baseball history. But um, Sandy Koufax no-hit the Mets in 1962, Casey, the Mets' first year. And after the game, the writers said to Casey... So, Casey, you think Sandy Koufax might be the best pitcher you've ever seen? 
and Casey was able to say, oh, no, that would be Grover Cleveland Alexander. (laughs) That's funny for people who know that name, because Grover Cleveland Alexander was a pitcher in 1912 when Casey was a rookie. So in in a heartbeat, he was just able to throw back the clock to 1912 with his answer. And that, more than anything, just talked about the long span he had in the game. Yeah, but his, I feel like his message, uh, you know, being around the game for so long is just transcendent of time. I mean, he gave uh, advice to his hitters and, and his players that, you know, still rings true today. You know, respect the older player. If you don't like what he says, just, what did he say, let it roll around in your head, and if you don't like it, use it for a month, and if you don't like it, spit it out. I mean, that's still... Well, that was advice that was given to him when he was a young player, and he had a neighbor in his hometown of Kansas City named Kid Nichols. And Kid Nichols was a 300-game winner in the 19th century. So here was a 19th century player giving Casey advice, which he undoubtedly passed on to people over the years. Uh, Wonderful thing about baseball and stories being passed down from generation to generation. In your opinion, where do you think Stengel ranks as the top managers in all of the game? Well, I think he's in the top ten, and I think he's in a period of time now that's come to a close so that today's managers have entirely different rule book that they're following. Today's managers get everything printed out on computer so they know situational things, what to do. Casey had that all in his head. So he was from an era when that was a requirement that the managers just remember all this stuff, who hit well against this guy back in April, things like that. Mm -hmm. And of course, Casey was from a time when you could gain some leverage by running out and arguing close calls (laughs) with the umpires. Maybe you win the argument, maybe you don't. But psychologically, you're also firing up your team and firing up your fan base. Today, that's gone because of the use of uh, video replays that ends the manager going out and arguing with the umpire. So that whole era has come to a close, and I think the question of great managers in history kind of has two parts now, those before the computer age and those after. Even social media. And social media. When you think about Casey operating at a time when there was really little second guessing there was no sports talk radio yeah. uh, there was no bloggers and instagrams and twitters mm-hmm. about how he's managing uh it was a much more peaceful time and maybe we'll say the same thing about this era someday when it gets <laughs> when things we can't even imagine come to be yeah and you know what struck me is you know i'm trying to break into this field as well and, and here's casey stangle sitting in the hotel bar with the writers before after games. I think that's awesome. That's it reminds me of the, the photo of Joe Namath in in the pool with the writers. Yes, good point. Uh, and that was part of Casey's charm was entertaining the writers. He used to say, learn the writers' names before you learn the players' names. You'll, it'll serve you better. <laughs> and when the Mets hired him as their first manager in 1962, it was with that in mind that he would charm the writers divert attention away from the bad team that the Mets were saddled with that first year, and in so doing would establish the Mets in New York City as a force to be reckoned with. He accomplished that completely. He, uh, the charm and his personality won over the press. They became
cheerleaders for the Mets franchise, and in many ways that still exists to this day. Marnie, I hope we whet my listeners and my readers' appetites here. Where can people pick up a copy of your book, Casey Stengel, Baseball's Greatest Character? It's at uh, Barnes and Noble and at Amazon and at independent bookstores and wherever people normally buy their books, uh, this one will be available. Now, uh, I looked on Amazon. It's uh, fourteen sixty-two uh, on Amazon.com, and it's Prime eligible. So everybody listening, you can have it at your house on Monday if you order it today. Half price.